Morning, everyone. Uh, scripture this morning is from Psalm 63 that uh, James read a little bit for us earlier. I'd like to read this also as a spiritual practice. So we'll read it through together, and then uh, we'll read through the first two verses. Maybe you can use it as a prayer. Maybe you can use it as a close your eyes and just meditate on the words, think on the words a little bit. So, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, as I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down in the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So maybe you just want to close your eyes and think and uh, reflect. I'll read the first two stanzas again. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Amen. couple of notes before we dive into the sermon proper. One is, you've probably noticed in the scripture reading that the end of it kind of stands out, where David shifts to this, like, but the people who oppose me will be defeated. Um, that's, uh, it's important to, to address things like that in scripture, uh, but I'm not going to do it that much this morning. Um, suffice it to say that not every expression, even in the Psalms, is an expression that reflects the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, this is a prayer book, and your prayers get mixed up sometimes as well. So uh, I, I won't pay a ton of attention to that this morning. It is part of our scripture. And uh, there are other difficult parts of scripture as well, like when you hear in the Old Testament, God said, wipe out that whole community. Or, and uh, uh, let me say this, uh, at least enough, that might be enough for you. The height of our faith, the fullness of our faith, you would say the progression from not fully understanding God to getting the full revelation of God, the height of our faith is in Jesus Christ, his love and his goodness to all people. And so there is not anything in scripture that kind of is, 
there's Jesus, and then there's this other stuff that's very unlike Jesus, and they kind of are equal? Uh, no. Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God, and the Word of God is the Word about the Word. It doesn't take away the fact that, that other parts of Scripture are the inspired Word of God, but we need to seek to understand. So that's point one. Secondly, I feel I should mention this morning just a word of thanks, because something extraordinary has happened this morning, um, and, and it's the kind of thing that you don't often note as extraordinary. Um, we've been led very well this morning already. Uh, a number of us were at breakfast in communion downstairs earlier this morning, and uh, our speaker this morning was Lawrence Thompson, who's here in the front row, and Lawrence led us very, very well and did a tremendous job of uh, speaking about God's presence in his life. And then here upstairs this morning, Bart has come and led us really, really well, done a fantastic job. And that prayer that Aaron prayed and how that all came about, I don't know, but it was perfect. Just perfect. And James led us well and, and uh, allowed us to enter into worship. And then Richard walked us through a spiritual practice. It's all happened this morning. We haven't even got to the sermon yet. So no pressure on the speaker. Here we go. So thank you, all of you who, uh, who take the time and effort to know that what you're doing up here in, in leadership is not uh, just going through the motions, but uh, it's, it's leading people in the work of the Holy Spirit. So as I start, I want you to picture something with me. I want you to picture being in a crowded movie theater. It's crowded, but it's not full. If it was really full, you could be a little bit more anonymous. You know what I mean? But it's crowded enough that if you make a big noise or cause some disturbance, people will notice. All right? And you're either just getting a cold or just getting over one. And so you have that terrible scratch in your throat. You have that tickle in your throat. And of course, at, before the movie starts, and there's 3,000 ads now, it's insane. It doesn't matter. You can kind of, <coughs> and you don't really think about it. But then the previews finish, and the movie starts. And why is it always this way? The sicker you are and the more you have to cough, the quieter the movie is. And it starts and it's really quiet. And everybody who's eating popcorn in the theater, it's quiet enough that they just stop their hand in the bag, right? Waiting for when it gets loud again. And you've got this scratch in your throat and what are you gonna do? And what do you think? I'll just hang on long enough. But it stays quiet, 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 quiet. So then you try smaller remedies, <coughs> right? Something like that. But you can't hang on, and you just have to, <coughs> like something like that. And then you give it your all, and then you think to yourself, and it's still quiet, you think, I'm good for a little while now. And then like 30 seconds later, you feel that tickle again. I want you to hold on to that picture. Jen and I were in a movie um, before Christmas, I think it was before Christmas, maybe it was after Christmas, it all blurs together. Must have been after. Um, and uh, because it's that time of year, it just was, when it got quiet, you just heard this chorus of like, <laughs> just everywhere in the theater. Today our, our topic is January's destitutions. I'll explain the word destitution in a bit. Um, this, the thing isn't moving there, I don't know, but whatever. Um, this time of year can bring this kind of grayness that we can feel. Sometimes ourselves, or sometimes we see it in others. And uh, 
Our faith has things to say about this. We've been praying about it and singing about it this morning. So we take up these stories of life and faith. We're kind of joining this series again. But in doing this in the fall, we were telling you stories of individual lives. I told you the story of Mike Wilde, who was part of this church for a number of years. And we talked about loneliness. We talked about an incident in the lives of the Liggetts and talked about God showing up in unexpected places. And we talked about Gene Meyer, and of course with Gene we talked about joy. And Barney Gordon, and talked about this concept of being a friend of God. Today we gather as a crowd instead of looking at an individual life. And I want you to consider that concept of the coffers and the hackers and the question of how is everybody doing. I have a word for it, and it is melancholies. It's not my word. It's just a good word that is kind of old, but I I think it's a useful word. Some people will say, I feel down or whatever. Melancholy is a good word for that. And I'm aware as a minister and just as a father, husband, friend, whatever, that uh, there are these divisions in terms of the melancholies we can feel in our lives. And actually, sometimes the small ones can knock us out more than the big ones. Have you noticed that? Uh, there are small melancholies, might be cold, flu, ailments, frustrations, uh, a, a kind of constant low-grade depression or just whatever it is that you can just feel like you're on low gear, in low gear. And then there are, you can think of them as big melancholies, but I, in my mind the better word for it is enveloping melancholies, the ones that just seem to take over. And of course I can think of uh, people that I even know, even this year, um, where that melancholy can just take over someone's life to the point of suicide, enveloping, or it just seems to knock you out, lasting mental health problems, job loss that can turn in to just not having any traction in life. In the Bible, in the Psalms, which is a prayer book, this is something that shows up over and over again. A repeated line from Psalm 42 and 43. This question, it's not in our Psalm this morning, but it's in there without the words. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? If you just took that away this morning, that would be enough, that you can just pray that sometimes, and you're praying a prayer that is in the Bible. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Or, as we were singing, this was in one of the songs. It's from the psalm as well. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Many of you could say amen to that, could identify with it. Sometimes I just seem to wrestle with my thoughts. So you can understand and you can identify And sometimes it is fitting that today is a beautiful sunny day. It was really foggy early this morning. Like when I came up here, I I didn't notice the sunshine until later on. Um, But it's fitting that it's sunny to think about the grayness, because sometimes the grayness can seem never-ending. The landscape that's in front of you can remind you of what you feel and can contribute to it. If you were to see where this psalm was written, the 63rd psalm, it says it before it gets into the actual prayer. In the wilderness, David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This was a barren landscape. And he was in a circumstance where he was running for his life when he wrote this psalm. So not to 
you know, condemn you or say, what's wrong with you? Get feeling better. But whatever it is that you're facing, when this psalm was written, David was facing as much trouble and uncertainty. And he wrote this prayer. It helps to know your Bible. The question, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Those of us who know where David was and know what the circumstance he was in, know what that circumstance, uh, how it was defined, we could say, I know why you're soul is disturbed within you. I know why your soul is downcast. Because you're in a cave and somebody's trying to kill you. So why would David ask a question like that? David had this, these real threats in his life. Explains some of the reason that he wrote the end of the prayer as he did. Sometimes you think that the only way to feel peace is to defeat some kind of enemy, external enemy, when we know that the enemy which Jesus Christ comes to defeat is sin and death, not another person. So David's writing makes sense. He had all kinds of people at the same time who were looking to him for guidance, like he was supposed to be the one who was okay. And yet himself, he was praying prayers like this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why would he ask that if he knew that one of the reasons he felt so bad was his circumstance? Because his frame is different than you might be thinking. David's frame is, I know the goodness of God. I know the power and presence of God. So, why am I feeling this way? And you would say, or I would say, because you're in a cave and somebody's trying to kill you. And he would say, that's not really how I'm asking. If I know God's goodness, then why am I so disturbed in my spirit? And this is where he'll find his answer. The answer, interestingly, is not focused on change of circumstance, which is what you think about your struggles. If the circumstance changes, then I will feel better. But that's not how David prays here. The answer to why are you downcast, O my soul, and how can he recover, is not on change of circumstance, but rather that reminder of God's presence and grace in spite of the circumstance. Now that's maturity. This psalm. And so in this psalm, because David understands some of that, you get this beautiful language, like Richard emphasized to us, I am thirsting after you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In other words, like you can take, I don't think it'll be sunny for the rest of January. Just a hunch. So it's great that you feel nice today. Wonderful. Take it. Because it won't be long and you'll think, has it ever not been raining here? And just like you could look at that gray and think about the grayness in your emotion and feeling. David says, my soul thirsts for you, and he just opens his eyes in a dry and weary land where there is no water. See how he is able to bring together that landscape of barrenness and his barrenness of soul that he's feeling. But there's the beginning of recovery in that. The landscape matches his feeling. There's beauty in that. And as you mature in life, even though you want to feel different than gray, sometimes you can identify with this. You can say, I feel terrible today and it's raining and I don't like it, but somehow there's a stark beauty even in that. 
But it's not all he writes. He writes about God's power and glory. And he says, as has already been emphasized this morning, your steadfast love is better than life. Having the blessing in my life and work of being able to sit beside people as they die, I've seen this. When some people reach such a peace at the end that they're living the reality of this. Oh, Lord God, your steadfast love is better even than life. They're able to let go. Trusting in God for eternal life. But knowing that that eternal life is in God. David writes, your steadfast love is better than life. It's the heart of this psalm. And then he describes what that feels like. He says, my soul will be satisfied. My soul clings to you. This is a rich, rich prayer. So a few observations. Firstly, and we say this over and over again in this church, but it needs to be said over and over again. God works in reality. There's a lot of salespeople and marketers in this life who will tell you that you know, what they have to sell you will answer all of your problems, including particular forms of religion. Um, it works great as long as you don't press them. And one of the giveaways would be if you knew about their life <laughs> and whether they experience the kind of ease and comfort and constant victory that they're claiming to sell you. I don't condemn people in this because sometimes I feel that they, they have a wishfulness about this, they long for this, they're not, they're not uh, vindictive about it, they're not mean-spirited. There's a confusion, though, in thinking that for me to get really close to God, it will mean that things go well. And so part of them trying to sell this to you is them trying to convince themselves of that. The trouble is, of many, if you read the Bible, David, any Bible character you mention, Jesus Christ our Lord experienced suffering. So what are we going to do with that? If you take that desire to claim that it will be all okay, and I, I'm one to say it will be all okay, but that doesn't mean there won't be difficulty and pain. And you examine the life of anyone, anyone's life, they have family difficulty, they battle things emotionally, they have loss, they have sin, and sometimes they would say, well, that sin explains all this difficulty. It doesn't explain all the difficulty. It explains some of it, for sure. But sometimes the suffering that we are under is not of our own doing. The desire to draw God's fullness and presence as removing all suffering and difficulty and trial on this earth, the desire to draw God's fullness and presence as removing all suffering, difficulty, and trial on this earth speaks not to the presence of faith, but to the lack of it. You know that, don't you? But we don't want spiritual maturity. This is what you always wanted when you were a child, and we still sometimes want as adults. We just want to feel okay. Maturity is understanding that even when things aren't easy, even when things are desperate, God is with us. 
even in the desert, even in the cave, even in the difficulty, even in the dry land, even in the cold rain, even when my life is on the line, God is with me. The victory is not in circumstance, though it may be and will be one day. But the victory on this earth is not always in circumstance. The victory is in the presence of God in whatever it is that we're living. Secondly, God is the God of all hope. The, the reality of what I just said does not mean that we then say, well, woe is me and life is terrible. And we need to be reminded by some of those very same voices that do speak about victory and wholeness, right, and fruitfulness, that that's an essential part of the body of faith because the opposite that we can run to sometimes is just say, well, life is terrible. And accepting a complacent, weak, anemic Christian faith, we need to speak against that as well. So we need to hear from the very people that sometimes seem like it's just all nothing but good, but they have something to say to us. God is the God of all hope. Do you know the victory that is in Jesus Christ? You can have a real and certain hope. And this is in this psalm as well. David's life with God. Verse 2, in the midst of trouble. In the midst of trouble, he remembers. He says, though I'm feeling this right now, I'm thirsting after you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. But I also know this. I have looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He speaks to himself and he reminds himself that he knows the power, presence, and victory of God in spite of what he's feeling at that particular moment in that desperation. And then the following verses. Verse 2 is what he knows to be most true, most present, most real, God's steadfast love. And because of God's steadfast love, what happens? David says, now please understand, he is not recovered yet. He is not feeling better. He's not, you know, he's not like, yes, this is a beautiful sunny day. He's still in the barren, dry landscape. But he's reminded himself that he knows of God's power and glory. And because I know of God's power and glory, what am I going to do? One day or soon or now even, this is what I will do. My lips will praise you. I will bless your name as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And then a declaration of the fullness of God, verse 4. It's beautiful because it, it speaks to how we confuse circumstance with the presence of God. A declaration of fullness. David says, my soul will be satisfied. I might feel this right now but I know that my soul will be satisfied. And you can play with it. it. was, If you miss one word in there, it changes the meaning, right? My soul will be satisfied with the richest of food. Actually, the language is my soul will be satisfied as or like. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. In other words, the way you define being okay is having no lack. Feeling like, Today's good. I'm not worried about something. I'm not worried about losing something or like I don't have enough. David uses that language to say, knowing your power and glory, being reminded of it, I know that my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. Even if what? Even if I don't have the richest of food. Very important. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. 
It's not the food that he's after. See this maturity, this spiritual maturity? It's not the food that he's after. It's the presence of God. And God does grant us tremendous blessing. And I could recount time after time in my own life where God has met my need exceedingly abundantly, more than I could ever ask or imagine. But maturity says, even if I have all or if I lack much, I know that in the presence of God, my soul will be satisfied. So finally, David's self-reflection. Spiritual maturity requires self-reflection, and you can see it with David. But please let me tell you, um, I could say this to myself, and I could say it to many of you, some who I know that I could say this to, others I might not know you enough yet. Uh, but the truth is, often we need to be reminded that self-reflection is not self-obsession. There is a spiritual maturity in be able to being able to reflect on ourselves and think about, well, you know, my emotional makeup, I tend to do this. Or here's the things that set me off or whatever. And being able to self-reflect is a good thing and, and necessary in our maturity. Being self-obsessed is something that doesn't bring maturity. And David gives us a good picture of what healthy self-reflection looks like because he reflects on himself and that he once thought this way about God. He knew God's goodness. He was able to feel God's goodness. But he wasn't feeling that in this moment. But he not only self-reflects, he gets his eyes off of himself and his current circumstance. He recounts what has been and he declares what will be. See what's happening? He's feeling something really intensely in the moment that he writes this song or around that moment. But instead of focusing on what he's feeling at the time, in order to recover and to grow spiritually, he looks back on what he has known in God's goodness and he looks forward to what he will know, but this is where he's living. You need to develop this skill. Back to the theater, when you're feeling disturbed, when you know that you have to cough. What happens when you feel that way? Well, one of the things that happen, happens is you become hyper-aware of yourself and your surroundings. You, I mean, maybe, I think you do. I do. Um, I think, you know, who am I going to disturb here? This is embarrassing that I'm going to start hacking. Am I going to be able to stop hacking? That type of thing. And so, whatever it is that you came to see, the movie on the screen, whatever, it takes second place to what you're feeling right in that moment. Everything's defined by what you're feeling. It's the same thing when we're in times of difficulty, pain, or suffering. Pain can be very self-centered, or it can get a self-centered response from us. Watch David and where he is, because this is absolutely beautiful. You ask yourself the question, what does David do in that place where he is feeling something so intensely, and it's real, and the threat is real? Even there, he takes the focus off of himself and what he feels in that moment, and he is able to say to himself, in the past, Heavenly Father, I have known you and known your promise and known your presence. So now I remember you. And look at the result. Now I know some of you will appreciate hearing this. Look at the result. Though I'm feeling this right now, I remember the past when I knew what it was to feel your power and presence so much more than I do now. And the result is, he basically says, so I can sleep. 
So human, isn't it? He says, I remember you on my bed. And so even when I can't sleep, when I'm tossing and turning, I've trained my mind to remember your goodness. Take my eyes off of myself. You are more than I am. It's tremendously freeing. And when I can't sleep, I meditate upon you and your presence and your reality. That is why David can declare what he declares in this psalm. So, and here his declaration is of the future. So, I will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. Now, what has changed for David? Nothing. Nothing. He's still sitting in the same place with the same threats. But everything has changed in his mind and heart. We need to hear this in our Christian faith. Because we live in a world where there's tremendous hopelessness and desperation. And people try to pin their hopes on things that are not eternal. And sometimes churches, religious settings, they can do that. We can do that. I remember your power and glory. I've seen it. So, I will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. And what we know as Christians is that the fullness of this love of God is found in Jesus Christ. And then David switches to another metaphor in verse 7 that for me is a perfect metaphor of the love of Jesus Christ. It carries a very similar feeling that you can feel when you know Christian faith. He says, therefore, he finds himself, he says, as if I am in the shadow of your wings. Even here, even when nothing has changed and I'm in this desert, I know that this darkness that I feel, this grayness that I feel, it's not lifelessness, it's your shadow. You care for me, and he says, for you have been my help. Even now, even in this melancholy, small or large, do you see how this is such a crucial step in our maturity? Jen and I, over the break, the uh, Christmas holidays, toward the end, this was definitely sometime after Christmas, Jen said, we were in the kitchen doing dishes or something, and, and she said, are you feeling just kind of weary? And I said, yeah, a little bit. And not to kind of go, woe is us, and you know, we have all this difficulty. We don't have a tremendous amount of difficulty, no more so and much less so than many. Uh, but we've friends and family and whatever, it seems to be a difficult time for people. Jen said, it seems sometimes like no one is okay. I said, I know what you mean. <laughs> and I can kind of feel that sometimes. And then this terrible thing happened to us. Our washing machine broke. Yeah, thanks a lot for laughing. <laughs> Don't come near dirty clothes, but anyway. And there's a long story to it. I won't bore you with all the details, just some of them. January 2nd, our washing machine broke. And a previous one broke a year and a bit ago, and Richard and Sharon gave us one that, because uh, they were getting a different one. And they're like, this still works. And it did for a year and a bit, and we're very grateful. We were always grateful. But it's broken now. 
And so we went on January 2nd. We were actually blessed to go to the hockey game that night. And on the way, we thought, we've got to stop at a department store and get order some wa a washer and dryer. So we did, and we're looking. And those of you who know Jen will get this part of the story. We're looking at various models. And of course, I'm thinking, this one seems to be really good. It does almost everything that one does. But it's like $1,000 less for this, this set, because our dryer's really old and needs to be replaced too. And then Jen sees this other set, and it looks nicer. It has a glass top, you know, top-loading washer glass top. And she says, and I quote, now Ollie is the name of our cat. She says, Ollie would really like this one. <laughs> so guess which one we ordered? <laughs> and then guess what happened next? Salesperson walks us across the store, which seems like five city blocks, to, a, to his computer. And he's like, okay, that's the one you like. Let me see. We should have all of them in stock. It should, we should be able to get it to you really soon. Oh, no, not that one. Of course. The other one, the cheaper one that I like, we could get that right away. But then he did this terrible salesman thing, and he said, I wouldn't recommend that one. So it was finished. January 12th, he said. Ten days without a washer. All right, well, it'll be a bit of an adventure. So that's the one we ordered. Then just as we were finishing paying, he's looking again. Oh, sorry, January 14th. That's how quickly the day was moving. So I was a little skeptical. Then I came home from work on Monday, just this past Monday, and I walk in the door and Jen says, with a big smile on her face, she says, do you want some funny but annoying news? <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Not good news or bad news, and I, I didn't say yes or no. She just said, uh, they just called about the delivery of the washer. I'm like, okay. She says, January 27th. We are going to stink. <laughs> so we've been to the laundromat a couple times. That's an adventure. Anyway, uh, so I spent the next evening, that evening and the next evening, thinking, well, we can buy this somewhere else and we'll cancel this order. Long, long uh, story short, well, not that short, is that in the end, I bought it from three different stores three different times and canceled orders before I finally purchased it and got it right. Everything was going wrong. And tomorrow, praise be to God, tomorrow, the washing machine arrives. These, and the cat will have a wonderful time. I, it, it doesn't, I share it, actually I didn't experience a lot of angst over this, but this is the kind of thing that can just put you over the edge sometimes. You're feeling down enough and then you think, now this too? These are like January destitutions. What I mean by destitution, you know what the word destitute means, right? Like having nothing. But in terms of the emotional life and the spiritual life, destitution, and I got this from a novel I was reading this past week, and she referred to destitution being that feeling when, when we feel that things should be other than they are. We can't pin how, but I just don't feel good because I think things should be different than they are. And that's where we need to take a look at our lives and go, wait a minute, things actually often are pretty good. Or like David, understanding that the definition of things isn't purely circumstantial. More than that, it's God's presence with us in whatever difficulty it is that we're facing. This is very important in our Christian witness. This is not a false, you know, put a smile on and pretend to be happy and annoy people with how joyous you are. You need to be real. 
But the truth is we need a depth of spiritual understanding where our emotion comes not only from circumstance, but from awareness of the presence of God in our lives. When that happens, we can mature like David does. It's why my favorite theologian will say this. He says, it's where I got the word melancholy for this morning. He says, we must not sit among non-Christians like melancholy owls. Isn't that great? But in a certainty about our goal, which is fullness of life in Jesus Christ, but in a certainty about our goal that all things will be made new in him, we must not sit among non-Christians like melancholy owls, but in a certainty about our goal which surpasses all other certainty. In other words, I don't know what will change in the circumstance of my life, but I am certain about God's victory, his love over this whole world. And so I have hope. So for you, do you know, as David did, that there is a greater hope in your life than your circumstance, be it great or difficult? There is a greater hope in your life and in this world than your circumstance and your feeling. And I say that, at least in my mind, I think in my heart, but you'll have to kind of be the judge of that. I say that with a compassion that we do walk among people who struggle greatly, and sometimes we do. But your hope in this life is greater than your circumstance. Our hope is in Christ. And it is helpful for us as Christians to remember that the future we should be most impacted by, and I know this is spiritual maturity, but the future we should be most impacted by in our emotion is not our future, but his future. And Jesus Christ has victory. Secondly, are you willing to admit the need to mature? This is tough for us to be honest about. And I've learned as a minister, and I've learned in my own life, and I condemn myself, don't condemn myself, but I, I, I count myself as in this, that we can be of whatever age and still need to mature spiritually. And some people know how to have a great veneer about the things that the world counts as maturity, but they're desperate inside and easily angered and whatever else it is. Are you willing to admit in your life the need to mature spiritually? And I'm not talking about age. Listen to David in this psalm and you'll see this path of maturity. Maturity, as we've discovered as we grow into adulthood, is not being certain about everything. That's what you thought when you were a kid, that the adults were certain. Then you became an adult and you realized, nope. Maturity is being able to accept the uncertainty. And Christian maturity is knowing that our hope is in God. You will have your destitutions. You might feel it today, maybe not with the sunshine. But sometimes if you're really feeling that destitution, the sunshine is offensive. You ever felt that? I have. Where I think, I wish it was raining today because I feel terrible and this sun is bothering me. Sorry. You will have your destitutions. But listen. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. And Jesus Christ said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood given his life for the life of the world. Can you draw those things together? Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
And now I declare in my Christian faith that I know in my faith in Jesus Christ that my soul will be, my soul is satisfied as with the richest of food. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, would you allow us to be patient with one another in our various destitutions? Would you allow us to ask to mature in this spiritual life, to not stay just where we are now, to grow in you. Thank you for this example we have in your servant David, who was in many ways, in some ways more, more ways than we are, was, was a wreck and messed up and feared for his life and tried ways that weren't trusting in you but in this psalm we see his heart instruct us heavenly father and help us then finally to know that our hope is a Christian hope that you Lord Jesus Christ have given yourself for the life of the world and you love everyone as much as you love us help us then whether it's Christians or non-Christians around us help us by your strength and power to not be melancholy owls, but to attest to the certainty of the hope that we have in you. We pray these things in Christ's name.